When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Healthy vs. Toxic, the podcast where licensed mental health professionals explore what makes a relationship healthy or unhealthy or even abusive, all from a scientifically informed perspective. Well, this is Dr. Grande. Today's question asks if I can talk about the gray rock method or strategy that can be used for coping with narcissism. So looking at the good and bad points of this particular strategy. Another related question here is what could cause this method to fail? So under what circumstances do we see that this method really doesn't work out too well? So the gray rock method is not a scientific method. It's not something we see in the scientific literature. And there is no official definition for this strategy either. There's no single and agreed upon definition like we would see in scientific literature. We do, however, have a general meaning for it. With this particular method, if somebody is in some sort of relationship with a narcissist, they really limit their contact with that narcissist. They don't reveal feelings. They become cold to the narcissist. They don't provide the narcissist a source of gratification, like a narcissistic supply. They're not drawing attention. And in a sense, they're hidden in plain sight. And that's why we really see the term gray rock being used here. It's like just a gray rock among a pile of rocks. If somebody walks by that, they're not really going to think much of that particular rock. A gray rock really doesn't stand out among rocks. So again, hidden in plain sight. Now, another way to kind of look at this method is it's a method of acceptance and detachment, right? So one accepts that the narcissist is going to behave in a certain way, and then one tries to detach themselves from the narcissist to minimize that relationship. So as I explore the reasons that this method can fail, I'll also be touching on some of the good points and, of course, the bad points of the method. So those points are more or less encompassed in this description about the reasons the method can fail. So I'm going to refer to the gray rock method as the detachment strategy. I think that's the simplest way to kind of conceptualize this particular technique. Now, one reason that this detachment strategy can fail is because of a power differential. And this is not only in work settings, but also in romantic relationships. Somebody may have more power in that relationship, and it's really just hard to overcome with any behavioral technique, right? So sometimes there's really nothing someone can do if another person who is narcissistic has a great deal of power over them. So this detachment strategy 
when it is successful, tends to work when two people are at about the same power level, right? That's the best opportunity to see a positive outcome from that strategy. Now, another reason it can fail has to do with the application of the detachment strategy itself. Detachment seems fairly clear, right? Don't react emotionally. Don't reveal personal information. Minimize interactions to what is necessary to accomplish goals. But detaching for most people is actually pretty hard to do because it runs against the innate desire to socialize, including the desire to reciprocate in a relationship. For example, if somebody thanks you for helping them with a task at work, it's very tempting and quite natural to tell them you're welcome or to thank them for something that they did for you. It just seems polite. It's part of the exchange we see in everyday communication. Some types of communication are almost reflexive. We say them without really thinking about it, essentially automatic. With this in mind, other than the power differential I talked about before, there are two main reasons I think that the detachment method could fail sometimes. Now, I'm thinking here about a work context, like the narcissist is a colleague or maybe a supervisor at work. However, this could also apply to other social environments and situations like romantic relationships. So here's the first reason. When somebody becomes unresponsive to a narcissist, when they cut the narcissist off, when they detach, the narcissist no longer has the relationship as a source of gratification. Again, the narcissistic supply has been removed. The narcissist also loses the ability to gain new information about the victim's weaknesses. And this is a key advantage of this accept and detach method. It doesn't supply the narcissist with weakness-related information, information about limitations that can be used against the victim. But here's the problem. Even though it's intuitive to not supply the narcissist with information about weaknesses, it's not unusual to still talk about strengths. Part of this can just be, again, the normal back and forth of conversations where people talk about different preferences they have. They talk about things they believe that they're good at, like abilities and skills. It can also be something that's almost unconscious in the sense that the narcissist is bragging about themselves all the time. So it can be tempting to want to say something positive about oneself. The narcissist is talking about what they do well. They're allowed to talk about their strengths. Why aren't other people allowed to talk about their strengths? I think that's how a lot of people look at this. There's a sense that if you don't talk about what you do well, the narcissist gets further ahead. They create more distance between you and them. So essentially talking about strengths is just a matter of defending one's position in an organization, a relationship, or another social structure. The challenge here, of course, is that the narcissist can use this information against a person as well. Narcissists have the ability to weaponize any personal information. The information doesn't have to be inherently damaging or negative. It can actually be positive and strength-based. The narcissist distorts facts. They distort information to get what they want. They use any type of information to manipulate. So let's take a look at an example here. So I'll use this person A, person B language that I often use in my videos to describe examples. Let's say that person A is a narcissist and person B works with person A for a company that remodels homes. So just to keep this example clear, and I'll use the same setup in the next example, person A is going to be a male and person B is going to be a female. Of course, that doesn't have to be the case. 
I'm just using these pronouns to keep the narrative more clear. So let's say out of frustration and out of an effort not to get further behind the narcissist, person B has talked about how she feels like she has skills to read people. So she can tell which customers are serious buyers and which customers are not. Not an incredibly unusual skill in many business settings. It would not be unusual to mention that if somebody had a good ability in that area, right? To be able to read people, to know when they're serious or not. So essentially this skill here is being insightful. Again, knowing what somebody else is thinking. So person A and person B go to look at this house that a customer may want remodeled. The customer says that they need to talk to one other person and then they can decide about having this work done or not. So person B says to the narcissist, I think this person is a fairly serious buyer. Again, not an unusual statement in this type of situation. It's not unusual when people are trying to sell other people a service or a product that they're going to guess about how serious that buyer really is. Now, the narcissist knows that person B's prediction could be incorrect, and he starts planning and working on the job before the customer commits. For example, he may go to a local home improvement store and look at a few different items there. He may go online and look at different prices for material that would be necessary for the job. So he expends energy, or he pretends that he is expending energy based on the prediction of person B. In this scenario, the narcissist wins no matter what happens. If the customer contacts the company the next day and says, yes, let's go forward with the job, the narcissist is now more prepared. But if the customer does not commit, if they back out, the narcissist can now turn to person B and say, it looks like you're not so insightful after all. So if somebody is trying to implement a detachment strategy, this example really illustrates why it's important to really carefully limit information that's shared with the narcissist, even if that information doesn't seem to have a downside. It reminds me of this thing that lawyers frequently say, never talk to the police. What they mean by this is if you are the subject of an investigation, nothing you say to the police will help you. There's a tendency to want to defend yourself, to say, no, I didn't do this, right? That's not really even rational. I'm not a criminal. However, it's better to say nothing and get a lawyer, right? There'll be plenty of time for the lawyer to provide any defense. The same logic really applies here. It seems like talking about a strength and making a prediction really doesn't have a downside, but the narcissist does not have person B's best interest in mind. He is trying to catch her on something. He is looking for a way to harm her, and anything she says can and will be used against her. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one -on -one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, 
parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardknowpodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no. Welcome to the Bravery Academy. My name is Emma Ferris and I'm your host. This podcast is crafted to share the stories of courageous individuals who've overcome adversity and found the courage to live their best lives. We'll explore the science of well-being, courage and connection and interview top thought leaders, game changers and survivors. And it's from these stories that we learn what resilience is, how to heal, how to recover and how to be brave. Now, I mentioned earlier that there were two reasons, other than the power differential, that this detachment strategy could possibly fail. Here's the second one. We know that narcissists frequently lie. They manipulate, gaslight, falsely accuse, and spread rumors. They're not typically good candidates for the investment of a lot of trust, right? So if it's one's contention that another individual cannot be trusted, that individual, the narcissist, cannot be trusted across all domains. And this is another area where I think people don't properly exercise the detachment strategy. If the narcissist says something bad, something negative about another person, again, a false accusation, a rumor, trying to capitalize on a weakness, it's very clear to the victim that the information is not true. The victim is going to know that they should not believe those false statements. However, if the narcissist says something good about a person, that person is inclined to believe that statement. Again, it's just woven into people as part of learning to socialize. If somebody pays you a compliment, it makes sense to believe that compliment is true. If a person pays a compliment to another person, all other aspects aside, they seem to be moving more toward somebody that has that other person's best interest in mind. Now, it may seem relatively harmless to reject negative statements and to accept positive statements. But in a sense, it leads to the same difficulty we see before. It's not truly adhering to detachment. Narcissists can use compliments for a few different reasons. For example, to get you in the habit of agreeing with them so that when they say something negative, you may agree with that as well, or to convince you that they have your best interest in mind. So let's take a look at another example, one that illustrates the second reason. Again, I'm looking at a person A, person B situation, and this situation, person A, is going to be a narcissistic supervisor. So in this example, person B is trying to use the detachment strategy. So the narcissist, person A, he is having difficulty creating the type of chaos and harm through his negative statements. So he switches to starting to pay compliments, right? He switches over to positive statements. So he starts to point out ways in which person B has distinguished herself as an employee. In those discussions where the narcissist is saying positive things, person B is grateful. She is encouraged that the narcissist may be turning over a new leaf. She believes now that she may be able to reason with the narcissist. The narcissist essentially gives person B hope. So here's the tricky part. The narcissist has been weaving negative statements among those positive statements. So the person B really has to pick out certain details to reject as being untrue, while at the same time, she is accepting 
the positive feedback. It becomes increasingly difficult to do this as the narcissist pays more compliments and offers more criticism. So eventually person B concedes that some of the criticisms are true. Of course, they are really just efforts to manipulate. So now the narcissist gets into trouble for causing harm to a third party, and he looks for person B's help. He could say something like, look, you admitted that you have faults too. Nobody's perfect. Help me in this situation. Come to my defense. I've always been a fan. I've always pointed out your strengths. So he's trying to escape accountability and trying to use person B to help him do that. Person B was trying to remain detached, but now she is tempted to side with the narcissist. Now, in this example, it's important to keep in mind that person B knows that person A is a narcissist because simply having a supervisor who offers positive and negative feedback is not unusual. Many supervisors can do this in a genuine way and really help somebody to grow in an organization or grow in terms of their skill set. But here we see the narcissist does this for his own gain. He really doesn't care about person B or about the third party. He cares about himself. He couldn't make headway with negativity, so he found a way to make progress with compliments. We see in this scenario that the narcissist strategy provides a defense against a third party who might look at his behavior and express concern. If person B does not come to his aid, the narcissist can say, look, whenever I pay a compliment to her, she seems to believe that I'm right about that. But whenever I say something negative about her, then she calls me a liar. She doesn't respond well to criticism. That's really what this is about. It's simply about her having her feelings hurt. So in a sense, he's just pulled off another clever manipulation. The defense here is to reject everything that the narcissist says, not so much to evaluate information as being true or untrue, but simply, again, to reject it. So essentially, to remain detached. So it's like collecting data and then never making an interpretation of those data. Yes, the narcissist is going to say whatever they're going to say. One really can't prevent them from producing data, but the victim of a narcissist doesn't have to assign value to that. They don't have to react to those data. So detachment is not about accusing the narcissist of lying. Detachment is about not making any statement. One is simply being indifferent to both praise and criticism. Now, of course, that statement, being indifferent to praise or criticism, is actually one of the symptom criteria for a personality disorder called schizoid personality disorder. An individual with this disorder doesn't really care if somebody says something nice or impolite. It doesn't matter either way. Interestingly, schizoid personality disorder is also described as being a disorder of unresponsiveness. Now, to somebody with this disorder, the indifference to praise and criticism comes without effort. But to a person without this disorder, and of course, most people who are dealing with a narcissist would not have this disorder, they really have to work to fail to respond when nice things are being said about them. It's much easier to reject negative feedback than it is to reject positive feedback. Now, it's interesting because this association to schizoid personality features is one of the criticisms I hear about the gray rock method. Some people will say, is it a good idea to mimic the symptoms of a personality disorder to deal with a narcissist? Well, with a personality disorder, the symptoms are constant. Someone using detachment strategy is only acting in that way in response to one person. It's not a way of life. 
It's not a way of thinking. It's not really a disturbance of personality. Another important distinction to draw here between something like detachment strategy and a disorder like schizoid personality disorder is that the indifference to praise or criticism is really just talking about one area, right? That's just one of the symptoms for the disorder. So if somebody is simply indifferent to praise or criticism, that doesn't automatically mean they have schizoid personality disorder, right? There's a lot of other symptoms that would have to be endorsed for a disorder like that. Sometimes individuals who are behaving in a detached manner worry about things like that. They worry, look, I'm getting cold or callous, or I feel like I'm really growing distant from this person. Well, with detachment strategy, that's really the point, right? That's really the idea of this strategy is to essentially become distant from one person who was causing harm. It's a behavior that a person has control over, not necessarily something that's woven in to their personality. I understand the concern about the overlap in that one area, but again, the constructs are completely different. Now, it's also worth noting here that if someone is harmed by a narcissist, if they don't offer a defense, they sometimes exhibit symptoms of paranoid, dependent, or obsessive-compulsive personality disorders. So the stresses of being exposed to all of this narcissistic harm can have an effect that looks like a personality disorder. So at least with detachment strategy, one gets to choose their own behavior, right? It's a choice as opposed to a consequence. And I think that's a more empowering way to look at narcissism exposure and how somebody can react to it. So with that in mind, does that mean that detachment strategy is an incredibly successful strategy that everyone should use? No. But in some circumstances, it can help to maintain a boundary that protects somebody who is being exposed to narcissism. There are a number of scenarios where this strategy can be extremely effective. As I mentioned, when there's no power differential between two people, that tends to facilitate a good outcome when using this strategy. Also, if somebody doesn't really need to work with a narcissist on common goals, right? So in that example where two people are working together, to remodel homes or to try to get that type of business. That's a tough situation because the people are somewhat dependent on one another. The more distance there is naturally in the relationship, the easier it is to detach the rest of the way. For example, if somebody was once in a romantic relationship with a narcissist, but that relationship has now concluded, but they still have some things they have to work out, like they have to divide up assets or something like that, the detachment strategy can be a fairly good strategy, right? It provides protection for the victim of the narcissist, but still allows minimal communication to work out whatever details need to be worked out. So again, in a number of ways, the detachment strategy is often used when somebody has the distance already created, right? When people are kind of drifting apart anyway, the detachment strategy just really speeds that up, right? It allows that boundary to be put firmly in place and really be unequivocal, right? It can't be disputed. You have very minimal contact and no expression of emotions or feelings. As people try to figure out whether they should or should not use something like detachment strategy, it's a good time to talk to a counselor, right? That's a good opportunity to discuss with a counselor what options may be good in any given situation, right? So again, detachment strategy is not a one-size-fits-all. 
It's not a strategy that applies to every situation, but I think it's a good idea to bring it up with a counselor if it's something that seems to make sense in a particular situation with a narcissist. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. The producers for this show are Christopher Brightigan and Madison Linden. The executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. For more content, please visit our website at arslanga.media. To leave feedback or suggestions, send an email to info at arslanga.media. To find more content from Dr. Grande, including a link to his YouTube channel and his other Ars Longa podcasts, visit our website at arslanga.media. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as medical or mental health advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page.